Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. God's Word, once you find the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we're going to be at tonight. If you're new to the Bible, all the T's in the New Testament or the second half of your Bible are together. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. I'm so glad that you uh, weathered the cold and you got here tonight, and we are excited about where we're headed in God's Word. I'm very excited. Hopefully, you're excited as well. As you're finding your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if we're just now meeting, um, I am a a minority in a sorority, and so I have a wife and three daughters, and uh, man, having kids is an incredible, incredible experience. And uh, something about the whole, uh, the whole pregnancy stage is that it's, it's inevitable that you're going to have a baby uh, when you're, when you're in that stage, but it's a little bit unpredictable. Like you, you know, like, you know, when, when, a, when your wife gets pregnant, it's obvious. All right. There's some things that are changing and you go to the doctor and the doctor, they, they will ask some questions and they put it in like an algorithm and then they, you know, do some weird kind of scientist stuff and they figure out like, all right, we predict the baby's going to arrive on this date. And uh, with our first child, like they hit it spot on. It was amazing because we're like, it was like the night before they told us that the due date was going to be. And, uh, and sure enough, that day came around and my wife went into labor naturally. It was incredible. I was like, how do y'all do this? Why don't y'all play the lottery? You know, anyway. And so our second baby was a little bit different. Again, we got pregnant with our second child 17 months later. And, um, and we were in this phase where we knew the baby was coming. You know, it's, it, it's so amazing. Like you can see like little baby in the womb, like elbow rubs across on the outside. It's like, it's alive in there. It's incredible. And, uh, and so we knew like, okay, we've got a date. It's going to happen. Um, but then uh, this one was a little bit different. And the baby came two weeks early. Now we weren't ready for this. And so I remember like on a particular night, my wife, she's like, we're two weeks out. And uh, so I really hadn't packed anything. I haven't arranged anybody to watch our first kid. And so it's kind of like, all right, you know, we got, we got time. We got two weeks, you know, you can do a lot in two weeks. And uh, then, you know, it's about midnight. My wife wakes me up, Chad, Chad, what, what? She says, I think I'm going into labor. And I said, okay, we're not ready. And she said, I don't know, just go back to sleep and I'll wake you up and I'll let you know if it's for real. I'm like, what do you mean? You'll let me know if it's real, you know? Like, I'm up, you know? And I'm like, I got to pack the bag. I got to call somebody because we're living as transplants and we don't have family around. I got to call people to come watch your kids and, and I got to figure all this out. And then, and sure enough, and like a couple hours later, she's like, oh, it's go time. And I'm like, all right, it's go time. And, and she brought into the world this beautiful baby. Here's uh, Elizabeth when she's a baby, just a couple, you know, she's a couple months old there. Anyway, so she's like nine now. So that's when she was just in the, you know, Christmas bows. Just, anyway, it's amazing. So, the, the point I'm trying to make is this, is that sometimes there are things that are inevitable, but they can still be a little bit unpredictable. And that is true of life, but that's also true of death. I know I just took a dark turn right there, but it's something that is inevitable. Research tells us that 100 out of 100 people are gonna die. That it's inevitable. Everyone in here, we're all gonna face our nemesis of death. It is inevitable, but it's a little bit unpredictable. Like, here's what I know about death. For most people, it doesn't RSVP. Like, for most people, when it comes to this aspect of our life, it's always a surprise. And we can, we can circle a date on the calendar and go, you know, I think I'm gonna die on that day, but for most people, that's not how it works. 
that it's inevitable, but it's a little bit unpredictable. And death, it's one of these things that for, for a lot of people, it's like a, it's like a punishment because it's gonna unleash a judgment account for that person to have to say, this is, what, this is what I did with my life. This is how I thought the thoughts that I thought. This is how I spoke the things that I spoke. And we're gonna have to give an account for the way that we lived. And for other people, it's not gonna be a punishment. It's gonna be a promotion because they've trusted their life over to the maker and the judge of the living and the dead. And I wonder for you tonight, is it gonna be a punishment or is it gonna be a promotion? See, in the, in the biblical worldview for the Christian to die, what the Bible says, to die is gain. Think about that for a second. Like, who, who says that? Only one that is looking forward to the next life can look at this life and to say, to die is, is to gain. I get more in the next life. But for the person that's not a Christian, has not trusted their life over to Jesus, to die is the ruin of everything that was precious to them. Death, it's one of these things that is, it's always sudden. Uh, death is always certain. And there's typically sorrow that surrounds death. And death is really a type or a foreshadow of what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. Now, Paul, he wrote the New Testament or a large, a large part of the New Testament. He wrote this letter that we're looking at specifically tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And he's going to use this phrase, day of the Lord. And he's going to help people to get ready for eternity and to inform them and educate them and build upon some information that they've already learned from Jesus. And here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Paul, he says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. He's saying, you know, when we were together, Jesus, you know, he taught some things about the end times, about how the world's gonna come to an end, and, and you already know some things, and so Paul's saying, we don't have to rehearse some of those things that you already learned from the teachings of Jesus. He says this in verse two, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Again, that was a phrase that Jesus used when he was teaching about the end times. And Paul goes on, he says, for when they say, peace and safety, the they being unbelievers, non-Christians, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. It's undeniable, but it's unpredictable for them, and they shall not escape. Now, this phrase, day of the Lord, it is a really common phrase that's used in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament prophets, they would talk about the day or the day of the Lord, and, and it's this phrase that encompasses uh, the, the, the events around the end of all that we know that is. That if, you, if you're a scientist person, um, you, you would know this, and I think most of us would come in here with this general belief and general understanding that the world had a beginning, that there was, there was something that started all that we know that is. And if the world had a genesis, the world is also gonna have a nemesis and it's gonna end someday. That there are people that are spending billions of dollars in all of their life to try to figure out how to save our planet. And there's this green movement, there's electronic cars, y'all know all this stuff, and there's, there's people coming together, world powers, trying to figure out how can we save this planet. But the reality is, is that just as you and I are gonna die someday, everything's gonna come to an end someday. And the day of the Lord is this phrase that is used to describe the events and then the day when God returns back and establishes judgment and establishes a new beginning. But there first has to be an end, and that is the day of the Lord. Now, 
Paul, he's writing this to these folks, and he's like, hey, you already know a lot of this stuff. He's kind of assuming that they, that they grew up with some Old Testament knowledge. He's kind of assuming that they remember some of the teachings about Jesus, and we're not going to talk at length about the day of the Lord specifically. There's a lot of things that our church has to offer about this, but I just want to draw your attention to four things that Paul makes an observation of or makes a statement about, four things that the day of the Lord is going to be for the unbeliever. Because I'm not, I'm not a fool to know, or I'm not a fool to just uh, assume that everyone here is, is a Christian. That maybe you come in here and you have some sort of faith, but have you really narrowed down the fact that if you were to die today, if the day of the Lord was to come tonight, that you're absolutely certain that you would spend forever with God? And I just want to give you four things about the day of the Lord for the unbeliever that we see in this text. The first thing is that it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Paul, he says this, that a certain, or he says that they say peace and safety, and then it, it sudden destruction comes upon them. It, he's saying that this, this is going to happen. As certain as death is, so is the end of all things. Uh, the, the second thing that, that the day of the Lord is, it, it's sudden. That's the word it uses right here in verse three. It's, it's gonna be unlike anything that we can even imagine. Uh, Jesus went through great lengths to try to help people understand that hell is a reality. We don't like to talk about that a lot in our culture because it seems so condemning and so judgmental. Well, it is condemning and it is judgmental. And Jesus talked about it a lot. The way that he described hell, he said it's like a, it's like a trash dump where, where the, the flame never is quenched and the worm never dies. It's, it's, it's worse than you could even imagine. It's like, um, Jesus would say that it's like utter darkness. And that if you meet your maker and you have not reconciled your sin, you're gonna have to pay for your sin forever. And the place where you pay for your sin forever is in hell. Hell is a place of separation from God. Everything that we know that is good in this life, it has come from God. And it is the absolute removal of all of those good things. That this world, it is, it is broken and it is marred, but there's still common grace and there's still goodness in this world. And for the believer, this world, even though it's broken and marred and even though it's bad and it's full of cancer and it's full of tears, this is the hell that you only, this is the only hell you'll go through as, the, as a believer. But if you're not a Christian, this is the only heaven you get. And when that hand of God is removed, it will be absolute destruction. Four things that are certain about the day of the Lord for the unbeliever, that it's inevitable, it's sudden, it's destructive. And, and here's the last one, it's inescapable. It's inescapable. People who have not trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're gonna die and go to hell. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much power you had. You could have been a Napoleon. You could have been a, a, a Hitler. You could have been a Marilyn a Monroe. You could, have been, you could have been Prince. You could have been Michael Jackson. I don't know the spiritual condition of all of those people, but I do know that they died. And they stood before God Almighty, and they had to give an account for their life. It didn't matter how much power they had, how much money they had, how much influence they had. We all will stand before God Almighty someday, and I think that we know that deep down inside intrinsically. The Bible says that every man is appointed once to die and then to be judged. That everyone here in verse three is gonna stand before God someday at the day of the Lord. And just as the day of the Lord is inevitable for the unbeliever and is inevitable for all people, and just as the day of the Lord is a day of terror for the unbeliever, so is death. So is death. Death is inevitable, it's sudden, it's destructive, it's inescapable for the unbeliever. Uh, this weekend, I, I preached on this stage 
uh, three different times for Abundant Life for our, our services on Sunday. And somebody came up to me after the first service. We have a service at eight o'clock and then one at 9.30. And they said, hey, just so you know, uh, we had a gentleman that dropped dead in this hallway. I said, okay, well, and, and then what happened? And they said, well, we have a, we have a team of medical professionals that, that serve our church, volunteers, and a, a woman in the medical community who knows CPR. She came and rushed to his side and she began to administer CPR. And they said, he has a pulse. She got him back alive. He's on his way to the hospital. I got a text that day that he was in surgery for his heart and that he's gonna make it. And he's alive today. Yeah, yeah, we'll clap it up. Yeah, that's great. So you get the picture, right? He, he's in church and he drops dead and he needs somebody to resuscitate him, somebody to compress his chest, somebody to breathe air in his airways. He, he can't do that on his own. He, he's completely helpless. And the reason why I share that with you is because that is such a picture of the spiritual condition of so many. As some of you here tonight, you're, you're in a church of all places, but spiritually, you're just like this gentleman. And the Bible teaches us that we cannot resuscitate ourselves. The Bible teaches us that we were dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our sin. It doesn't matter where we fall dead. We're dead. We were born dead. It doesn't matter if we go to church all of our life. It doesn't matter if we're the best person all of our life. It does not matter. We cannot resuscitate ourselves. And so the good news is this, is that God sent his son to die on a cross, raised from the grave to give us a spiritual CPR. CPR, Christ paid the ransom. He paid for it all so that he could take his, his, his hands and put them on our chest spiritually. He could take his breath and put it in our airway spiritually and he could raise us up to life. And the way that he did this was by sacrificing everything that he had. That history records and the Bible tells us that Jesus' hands were pierced so that he could pump our dead heart to life that Jesus' breath was taken from him so that he could breathe in our lungs, that Jesus' heart was pierced so that he could give us a new one. Have you come to the point in your life where you've made things right with your maker? There is no greater thing that you can do with your life The time is now. If you, haven't, if you haven't surrendered your life over to Jesus, I think there's this tendency in, in this season of life to think that we're just, we're immortal, you know? We're just gonna live forever. One of my childhood friends, this week he was hit by a car. He died. That death is always, it's sudden, guys. And if you're not ready to meet your maker, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? We don't, we don't normally do this, but I think this is a good time before we move on with the rest of tonight's message. I just want you to bow your head, close your eyes. I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions. 
I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond even to this news I just shared and then we're gonna move on for the rest of the night. Question number one, how certain are you if you were to die today that you would spend forever in heaven with God? On a scale of one to 10, what would you give yourself? Do you give yourself a three, six, an eight? If I told you that you could, you could be a, a absolute 10, 100% certain, would you want to be? If the answer is yes, then let me tell you how you can be absolutely certain that if you were to die, you'll spend forever in heaven. You, you do what the Bible says to do. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son to die for you so that if you would believe in him, you wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And the way that you appropriate that, the way that you become a 10, the way that you have absolute confidence is that you confess the Lord Jesus Christ. That you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord. And by faith, through grace, you are saved. It's not of your own works, lest any of us would boast. That's how you become a 10. Last question, do you wanna do that tonight? I'm gonna pray what's called a sinner's prayer, and you can just pray this if you want to do that tonight. You pray it in your own way to yourself. Pray it out loud, I don't care, however you wanna pray it. The prayer doesn't save you, Jesus saves you. But I'm trying to make sure that you're ready for the day of the Lord. I'm trying to make sure that you're ready for ever. So if you wanna pray that prayer, you can just repeat after me in your own way and then we're gonna move on with the rest of the night. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen short of your standard. I believe in my heart that you died on the cross for my sin that you rose from the grave, that you ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that one day you're coming back. I confess you as the Lord of my life, and I ask you to save me. Help me to be a 10. Help me to know you. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, if you just prayed that prayer, maybe you've had a moment like that where you've solidified your faith. Look at me real quick. Don't miss this. You are no longer condemned by your sin. When you put your faith in Jesus, here's what that means, that you have forgiveness of your sin. That when you stand before God someday and he says, why should I let you, let, let you into heaven? You say, because I asked your son to cover me in his righteousness. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Come and enter the reward. That if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what the Bible teaches is that you are a new creation. That you're, you're made new in Christ Jesus. That, that God no longer looks at you and holds you accountable to the, to the sins of your past. 
He no longer looks at you and holds you accountable to the things that you've thought, the things that you've said, the things that you've done, or the things that you will think, say, or do. That you're new in Christ. And the old is gone. And the new is now. And the reason why we start there tonight is because if you don't have that settled, then everything else that we're about to walk through in this little letter, in this section, it's gonna be it's gonna be um, like like Spanish to an English ear. It's gonna it's gonna be foreign to you. But if you know Christ, everything that we walk through over the next few minutes, this is your heritage. This is your this is your birthright spiritually. That you're now alive in Christ, and you're gonna learn who you are, what you need to do, and where you're headed. So let's pick back up in 1 Thessalonians 5. Here's what it says in verse four. He says, but you, brethren, you're not in darkness anymore. Amen. Some of y'all may have just prayed for the first time, a serious, heartfelt God confession, I need you. And you're saying, I'm no longer in darkness. He says this, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. So if you're in Christ, you don't have to worry about the coming of the Lord. He says this, here's your identity. You are sons of light and sons of the day, and we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you gotta write this down, you got a new identity. You got a new identity. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul's reminding them of who they are. He's like, guys, guys, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are, you're, not, you're not in the dark anymore. You're, you're not ignorant anymore about these things. You, you can have insider information. Uh, if, you're, if you're in Christ, you're no longer a child of darkness. You're no longer a child of the night, but you're, you're a son of light. You're, you're a son of the day. And he's given them, this is who you are. I don't know if you are anything like me, but there's been times in my life, there's been years, seasons in my life where I, I got into all kinds of crazy because I was trying to figure out who I was, you know? And I'm like, well, maybe I need to, you know, hang out with these folks and figure out, you know, do I fit in? And I, was, I just had like identity crisis and I'm, maybe I should do these things and see if I fit in, identity crisis. And, and there's been so many things that I regret doing because I was trying to figure out who I was. And then I became a Christian. I started learning, oh, this is who I am. And your identity is what is so important because that is secured for you by what Jesus has done. And so he says this, you're a, you're a son of light, not a son of darkness, or a daughter of light, not a daughter of darkness. And he says that you're, you're not to be surprised, but you're to be informed. Like you're, you're in the know. Um, you you, you kind of know when the end is gonna happen. See, we have a Bible, and when we believe that the Bible is true, we can take the word of God at its face value and say, okay, well, if God says it, that this is gonna happen in this way, then you can begin to see some things. You can read the Bible with a newspaper, and you can be informed about how things are gonna transpire before the end of all times, before the day of the Lord. And so you don't have to be surprised when there's kind of the closure to this, to this part of, of human history. Uh, we moved up here uh, five years ago from Louisiana. We were living in Louisiana, and I had uh, I had two daughters at the time, and, and my wife, and and uh, we were we were in a house, and so we put the house up for sale. Now, everyone in my household, they knew that there was going to be a sign that went in the yard. You know, like we'd been processing, we'd come up to Kansas City, and we're thinking, you know what? I think that I think that the Lord's leading us here. We kind of did the hokey pokey. We were we were in the job, and then we were out of the job, and then we then we finally put our whole selves in. You know, and 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 we said, okay, if we're going to go all in, you know, Dad's going to go up to Kansas City, and he's going to find us a house. So we're we're talking about all this, we're praying about all this. Everyone in the household knew that there was a change that was about to come. Everyone in the household knew that we were about to come to the end of this time here in this house, and we were about to start a new time in a new house. But when we put the sign in the yard, all the neighbors were surprised. They didn't know. Like, what, y'all are moving? 
And the reason why they were ignorant to the fact that this was coming to an end is because they weren't in the family. They weren't in the household. And what Paul's saying is that when you are a Christian, you, you understand that there are some things that are about to transpire and you don't know exactly when the day of the Lord's gonna be, but you can look at the Bible, you can look at the teachings of Jesus and you go, okay, yeah, we're about to make a move here. And he's saying, this is a part of what it means to be in this new identity. And Paul, he's reminding them, like, guys, this is who you are. You don't have to be ignorant to these things. You don't have to be surprised by these things. You can learn some things in the Bible. And he goes on and says this in verse six. He says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down. A new activity, a new activity. See, our spiritual identity leads to a spiritual activity that you're only becoming more of who you are today. That we say what we think, but we actually do what we believe. And so when you have settled your identity, this is who I am in Christ. I'm a son or a daughter of light. I'm informed, I know what's going on. Then it leads to the way that we live not the other way around. We don't have to perform in order to get accepted by God because we're accepted by God. Then we live our life to please God. And so our identity always precedes our activity in our relationship with God. And so he gives us some things that we need to do in our activity. He's basically saying like, this is what your faith should look like. So if you're here and you just prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save you, you're thinking, okay, what's next? What should I do? Well, let me just kind of give you a couple things from God's word that you need to do. Paul is comparing some things. He's like, you don't need to sleep. You need to be, you need to be watchful. Uh, you don't need to be drunk. You need to be sober. So let's just talk about those real quick. When he says you don't need to sleep, what he's saying is that you, you, don't, need to, you don't need to be disconnected from the things that matter to God. Uh, the word that he uses here for sleep is different than the word he used in chapter four that was a euphemism for death. He's literally talking about like when you get groggy, when you get sleepy. And what he's saying is that you need to not be sleepy spiritually. You need to be watchful. You need to be, you need to be ready. You need to be awake. Uh, he uses this Greek word. Uh, it's translated Gregory. If your name's Greg, that means that you're awake. All right. Y'all have heard of a guy like he's gregarious, you know, like that's what you need to be spiritually. You need to be, you need to be, you need to be alert. You need to be ready. You stay ready. And listen, your new life is to be watchful and not sleepy spiritually. Um, I, I got a confession to make. Um, I'm, I'm not a good driver. Um, I'm just, just being honest with you. And so like, here's my big problem. Like I'm good on, I, like I'm good as long as I'm awake. You know what I'm saying? Like that's my big deal. You know, like, like I just, like I just, I get narcoleptic behind the wheel, man. You know, if, if you have narcolepsy, no offense, but I just, I don't know if it's diagnosed, but I just like, I just fall asleep a lot behind the wheel. It's something I've dealt with for a long time. And so like, uh, we're going on a road trip soon. I won't be driving. My wife, she'll be driving. She's fearful for her life when I'm driving. It's exciting. You know, I'm like, Hey, we drive by faith, not by sight. You know, anyway. So like, I have this tendency, seriously, like I'll start dozing and it, I'll just be rolling like from here to Grandview. All right. Like I, it's not even a road trip. Like get on the highway. And I'm like, and thank God for the rumble strips, you know, that saved my life. And so anyway, I have this tendency, like I'll start dozing off and I'll have my family in the car. I'm thinking, I gotta, I gotta get a hold of myself here. Because if I mess this thing up, I mess this thing up, you know? Like, not only am I gonna mess me up, but I'm gonna mess everybody else up. The point I'm trying to make is this. When you get sleepy behind the wheel spiritually, it's not only gonna impact you, but it's also gonna impact the people around you. And if you wanna live a life of faithful obedience to Jesus Christ, you're gonna have to wake up out of your slumber spiritually. 
You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to be alert. You're, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to quit his, hitting the snooze button and quit sleeping in spiritually. You're gonna have to quit being sleepy towards your sin. You're gonna have to quit being sleepy towards the things of God. You need to be alert. You need to be gregarious spiritually. Paul, he gives another comparison and contrast. He compares being drunk with being sober. Uh, being drunk, y'all know, know what being drunk is. It's a, it's a willful choice to overindulge in something, all right? And, uh, and so he says, like, we don't, we don't wanna be drunk spiritually. We wanna be sober. Sober is this idea that you're self-controlled, that you're serious, you're balanced, you're calm, you're steady, your priorities are right. Now, um, not everyone has been drunk in the room, hopefully. Um, and so if you haven't experienced that before, maybe you can't really relate, but you've overeaten. Come on, man, y'all look at me like, don't judge me. Like, I know y'all know Thanksgiving week's coming up. You're you already planning, right? All right, if I don't eat there, then I can eat, you know, in an offset, and like, it's all good, right? Like, the, the way that you get drunk is the same way you overeat at Thanksgiving. Just one more. Just one more turkey leg. Just one more slice of pie. Just one more. This is my last plate. This is my last biscuit and gravy. This is my last chitlin, whatever your thing is, right? This is my last, just one more. There's this lie that we all believe, and it's the lie of one more time. You know what I'm talking about? Like, man, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to quit this. I'm just gonna smoke it one more time. Man, I'm, I'm trying to quit this. I'm just gonna look at it one more time. Man, all right, I, I made a promise. You know, new, new year, new me. And so I'm just gonna get crazy on New Year's Eve. One more time, I'm getting it all out of my system. And the irony is, is that you're feeding the thing that you're trying to flee from. And you're believing the lie that if I, if I feed this thing one more time, then I'll get free from this thing but you're feeding the thing that you're trying to get free from. And we all do this, all right? And it is a lie, and that is you being spiritually drunk. You're, you're overindulging in some sort of compromising thing. And Paul's saying the new activity is that we, we're not marked by drunkenness spiritually. We're marked by sobriety spiritually. He's saying don't get drunk on darkness. Don't believe the lie of one more time. Listen, you're feeding the thing that Jesus died for, your sin. And if it breaks the heart of God, then what makes you think it's gonna satisfy yours? And Paul's saying that, that we're not to get drunk on our sin. Uh, what temptation are you getting tipsy on? Like you, Maybe you're not like full-blown in it, but you just you kind of buzzing right now. And if you're flirting with the thing that you should be fleeing from, but you claim to be a Christian, then something's off. And tonight I'm calling you to walk in the new identity and to live some new activity so that you can be somebody that reflects what the Bible has to say. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I hear like messages like this, I'm like, all right, you pinned me to the floor, you know? You got me, all right? And, uh, and it's just like, Man, it's convicting, you know, and because there's always something we can work on. There's always something we can get better at. There's always some temptation we're being tipsy with. You know, there's always, always there's something. Everybody got something up in here. And I know there's been times in my life where I'll hear messages like that, and it's like, you need to stop. And I'm like, 
okay, how do I stop? You know, can you give me another, can you give me some more? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I love that the Bible doesn't leave that for question. I mean, like the Paul, he says, hey, y'all need to stop. This is who you are. This is your activity. And then he gives us some things to do. So if you're here and you're asking, well, how do I stay sober? How do I wake up spiritually? Well, here's what you do. It says it right here in, in verse eight. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on, here's the action, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So he says this, you gotta put on the breastplate. It's like a bulletproof vest. It's protecting the vitals. Paul, he's probably looking at like a Roman uh, soldier. He's like, yeah, you need one of those spiritually. And he says the, the thing that you need to put on, the bulletproof vest that you need to put on is faith and love because this is the thing that guards your heart. Like this is the feeling center of your, of your life. Y'all, y'all ever get feelings that you're just like, man, they just feel so real, Right? My wife, she, you know, she's, she's a, a woman, obviously, and, and women, y'all just have a tendency to feel things a lot more than guys do. Like, I'll feel sad, but I can't express that feeling. Like, I'll tell my wife sometimes, I'm like, you know, I'm really sad right now. I should be crying, but it ain't working. It just, my, they're not working. My feelings are just, they're on like a 30-day back order right now, you know? But her, man, she can, like, she's in touch with those feelings. And I've learned never to, quiet or, or, uh, or reject her feelings. Just husbands, if you're here or if you wanna be a husband someday, note this. Never, never deny the reality of her feelings, okay? And so here's what I'll say. I'll say, hey, hey I don't wanna deny that you feel the way you feel, but how can we navigate this right now? And so some of you have come in here tonight, man, you feel lonely. Some of you have come in here tonight and, and you feel thirsty, if you know what I'm saying. Some of you have come in here tonight and, and you feel anxious. Some of you have come in here tonight and you feel, you feel that you're better than somebody. Some of you have come in here tonight and you, and you feel forgotten. And when we follow those feelings, it's gonna lead us to all kinds of places. But when we put on the breastplate of faith and love, it guards our heart and it informs our feelings. And so the way that you stay sober spiritually, the way that you stay alert spiritually, the, the way that you, you live this thing out is that you put your faith in action and you allow it to inform those feelings, that you, you don't follow your heart, you don't follow your feelings, but you allow your faith to inform those feelings. So if you feel forgotten, you allow your faith to remind you that you have God's gaze upon you. If you feel like you're better than somebody else, then you allow your faith to inform you that the ground is level at the foot of the cross and that you're no better than anyone else, that God shows no partiality. If you come in here tonight and you feel anxious, you allow your faith and the love of God to inform that anxiety that he cares for you. You cast your cares upon him. If you come in here tonight and you feel thirsty, you gotta understand that God's given you faith and love to guard that feeling and that you wanna put those things in the right context at the right time and that Jesus is enough in the midst of those things. If you come in here tonight and you feel lonely, you gotta understand that Jesus Christ, the God of the galaxies, he is with you and he will never leave you you nor forsake you and you allow your faith in the love of God to guard your heart and to inform your feelings and this is how you stay sober spiritually this is what it means to be a son or a daughter of light or of the day and he goes on he says this that you also got to put on a helmet of the hope of salvation it's this idea that this helmet it guards your mind <laughs> that I don't know if you're anything like me but I'll, I'll have these these thoughts man like I'm like, where did that come from, you know? 
Oh, y'all want to look at me like I'm the only one that's had some crazy thoughts before, okay? Yeah, like I, I've had these thoughts, man. I'm just thinking like, like where did this, and they'll run across my mind. I'm thinking, you know, and, and I'll just, sometimes if I cling on to those thoughts or if they kind of slow down in my mind, I can start to doubt whether or not I'm even a Christian, you know? I can start to like, like do Christians think these sort of things? And I've got to remind myself of the salvation that was secured by Jesus Christ and that nothing will shake that. And I've got to gaze upon the gospel, gaze upon the goodness of Christ, recall the doctrine of salvation and put it on as a helmet to guard my thought life. I've got to feed my mind the word of God. I've got to feed my mind doctrine. I've got to feed my mind theology. I've got to feed my mind the gospel. I don't know that we do this very well in our generation. Our generation is riddled with the most mental illness issues. And some of those are, some of those are chemical, some of those are, are physiological and, and, and we, they're out of our control, but, but others of them are because we're thinking about the wrong things too often. That we have more access to theology, more access to doctrine, more access to the Bible than any other generation, yet we are so biblically illiterate in our generation. And I would just urge you to spend your young adult years learning the word of God, that you would lay your soul a soak of scripture on the regular and you would allow it to marinate inside of your mind so that you can face the dark days ahead with great valiancy and great courage and great victory. And you could be sober-minded and you could be a son or a daughter of the light because you faithfully put on the helmet of the hope of your salvation and that you reminded yourself on the regular of the goodness of the gospel and you guarded your thoughts faithfully. You have to focus your mind and you have to inform your heart. Paul, he kind of wraps this section up in verse nine. He says this, for God did not appoint us to wrath. I love that. God did not appoint us to wrath. It's something you didn't know about the character of God, but, but he appointed us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 10, who died for us. And whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, a new destiny, a new destiny. Paul, he's reminding these Christians in Thessalonica of why God made them. I think sometimes when we can hear some of the things I share with you on the front of the message, like the day of the Lord and judgment and hell and those sort of things, we can start thinking that God's like, oh, I can't wait for them to die so I can punish them. That's not God, all right? Like when you read the Bible, that's not, God does not delight. It says in Ezekiel 18 that God does not delight in the perishing of the wicked. It says in 2 Peter 3 that God wishes that none would perish, but all would come to a saving knowledge of him through Jesus. God did not, Paul's saying, hey guys, guys, God didn't create you to be children of wrath, but he created you to have a right relationship with him through Jesus so that you could give glory to God forever. That God wants you to know him. He didn't make you just so that he could punish you. He made you so that you could come to know him forever. And the reason why I can say that with absolute confidence is because God gave everything, his only son, so that you would have the opportunity to be with him. 
my wife and I, we have three kids now, and, and I, I love my kids, man. I'm wild about them. And, and, you know, from time to time, I'll meet somebody. I was talking with a guy um, a few months ago, and, and he recently got married, but he's in his 30s, and he's like, like, what's it like being a dad? And he was kind of a little bit nervous, and, and I just said, man, like having kids, it's incredible. You know, somebody asked, why did you have kids? Well, the reason why I had kids is so I could enjoy them. Here's why I did not have kids. I didn't have kids so that I would have somebody to kick when I got home. Okay? I I didn't have kids so I would have somebody to pour out all my wrath on. No, I had kids so that I could enjoy them. And as much as I enjoy my children, God enjoys his even more. And as much as I sacrifice for my family, God has sacrificed infinitely more. And Paul, he's reminding them, that this is who God is. He didn't create you to punish you, but he created you so that you could live with him forever. And the reason why Paul could conclude, conclude this section with this verse is because of what we said. And here's what he says in verse 11. He says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And the only way that these words will comfort you and edify you is if you're gonna live forever with God. And I pray that you are. I want to bow your head. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for this opportunity to study your word. I thank you for uh, just a, a faithful warning that echoes throughout the pages of scripture and history that there's going to be a day, there's going to be an event, there's going to be a series of things where, where God's going to return. And you faithfully raised up men and women throughout history to warn people, to ready themselves for the return of the Lord. And God, I pray that we would not be fools to think that you were just playing games. God, I pray that we would take our life serious. I pray that we would take you serious. God, I pray that if somebody's on the fence, I pray they would go all in with you. And for those of us that know you, God, I pray that we would be reminded of our identity, that we wouldn't waffle around just not knowing who we are and in some sort of crisis, but God, we would know clearly that we're sons and daughters of light, that we're not in darkness around the the events that are gonna happen towards the end of all things, that we're in the know, that we can be informed. God, I pray that we would also live in an activity that pleases you and we'd be excited about a destiny with you forever. In Jesus' name I pray.